The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email opinion at 96mm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. Don't forget our hashtag is OL96. And Facebook on the Cork's 96mm Facebook page. Pop us a message. But please do address your message for the attention of the opinion line. Congratulations. At the outset of the programme this morning, congratulations to Claire O'Leary from Debenhams. She was on here the other morning, all excited and all getting ready to welcome uh, a new baby into the world. Well, happy to let people know because people were interested in finding out she had a baby girl yesterday and all fit and well and healthy and thriving, which is great to hear. Congratulations, Claire. Now, take your minds back, if you will, this morning. We're going to spend a lot of time on this particular story today because it's a great day of celebration particularly in the Douglas area but all across the city people who used to flock to the shopping centre at the weekends and during the week and it was just a, a, it's a big big day a big big day for business and it's a big big day for good news and you know what we've had we've been inundated with bad news and depressing news and all that kind of thing for the last six, seven, eight months but today is a day to celebrate but before we do Let us cast our minds back to Monday, the 2nd of September, 2019. The fire had happened on the Saturday night, the night of the 31st of August. We were here on Monday morning, the 2nd of September, covering the fire on the opinion line. Bartos, good morning and thank you for taking our call. It's been a traumatic weekend for you all. What do you know about what happened at this stage, Bartos? You know, obviously, there's a forensic investigation in relation to the car that went on fire. Like, but uh, you know, it, we know it was an Opel Zafira. We know it started from the car, and and, and you know, we know it has kind of started quickly, and 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 kind of the car burst into flames rapidly. Like everything happened in a matter of minutes. You know, so 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 we know that for a fact in relation as as it's been to the fire source, their source. What is the situation with regard to the shops? When when can they reopen? is a question that, that we no one has an answer at this stage you know so Wayne the plane has stayed up for us this morning to see what traffic's like around Douglas they did open at the N40 which improved things but that road down by the park or the shopping centre is still closed Wayne's overhead to see what it's like morning Wayne Peter yeah just over here right now and again the relief road there still closed at the side of the shopping centre uh, on top of the roof actually you can still see about uh, 12 cars or so that are still there I was in there shopping, finished paying for my shopping about three minutes to seven, left Tesco's and heard kind of like a bang. I thought it sounded like firecrackers. Um, and then I saw that the escalators were turning off and people were coming down the escalators so you couldn't go up to your car park. Um, and then people were kind of, there was no panic. People were very calmly kind of unaware of what's going on and were kind of walking out the exit. And then standing outside the Tesco entrance, you could see flumes of black cloud um, billowing out of the building. Um, so what did you think when you saw that? Um, I just thought of fire. People around me had kind of said that there was um, a car on fire on the first floor. Um, supposedly a woman had come running down the um, the ramp saying my car's on fire. Was your car parked inside there? Yeah, it's on level one um, at the other end. So I'm just trying to find out tonight now if my car is there or not. I'm supposed to fly out to Portugal in my holidays tomorrow. Um, look... All we've got to do now is just wait and see. It would-
would be technically a very difficult fire to tackle, as you can imagine, a confined space with extremely high temperatures, anywhere from eight to 900 degrees inside in the, in the building at that particular time. So the fire crews were extremely challenged from a thing called heat syncope, where the body is, is affected by uh, tremendous heat, sweating and so on. So access was extremely difficult because um, you had to tackle from both ends and the sides with the hydraulic platforms. Mm. So overall, it was challenging. Huge resources put into it to protect the rest of the structure. It was a fantastic outcome for the uh, people to get out without any injuries and to have the rest of the structure protected. So it was limited to one small area. Unfortunately, there's substantial structural damage to the building and engineers are reviewing at the moment. I just brought my shopping to the boot of the car and brought my trolley to the trolley bay and um, there was a staff member there who was screaming at myself and another guy to get out. So we were actually the two last people on the first floor to get out um, and the flames and the black smoke was just horrific. We were running towards to try and get out other cars started exploding in front of our face and everything. Yeah, Yeah. and um, then the the glass doors, before you go onto the escalators to get down, they had automatically shut, so we couldn't get in there to get out. So we were ushered by another staff member to get into another room to actually get onto the escalators to get down and get out. Wow. It was quite scary, actually, yeah. Some memories from the weekend, uh, the 31st of September, or 31st of August 2019, and that was from the programme of Monday the 2nd of September. And for many, many days after that, we watched the removal of cars, uh, the, the attempt to shore up the damage, to assess the damage, and then the work began to get the shopping centre going again. And down there for us this morning is Fiona Corcoran. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Tisha. Good morning. Good. You've had a walk around. Yes, and it's very different to Douglas Village Shopping Centre this morning from what it was like um, on the, the 31st of August. Very new looking. A lot of, uh, like when you come into the car park, you can just smell the fresh paint. And again, in the shopping centre. And there are quite a few people around this morning. Now, I came in at half past eight. Tesco had opened at eight. And there was a few people milling around, but since they opened up uh, the rest of the shopping centre at nine o'clock, there is a good few people here now. The crowd is really kind of picking up a bit. And um, the Tesco, as I said, opened and the Marks and Spencer. Now, there are a number of stores and retailers that can't open because of the level five restrictions that are in place. But Bartosz Mielza, the centre manager, was speaking to me yesterday and he outlined the 13 stores that are operating from today and I think you might have a tip of that. I have indeed. Desco will be open, Marks Spencer will be open, all of the other essentials like bank, the two pharmacies will be open, we'll have some of the uh, cafes trading for um, takeaway, air will be open, we also have uh, Carry Donna planning click and collect, Eurogiant is open and when the level changes, again, at, at the start of December, hopefully, we'll have another phase of reopening of the other retailers, less essential, and that would include you no know, TK Maxx, some other fashion like of Bourne and, and uh, Douglas Fashion Lingerie, and, and um, we'll have Bookstation will will be allowed to open then, like of Trespass, CX, those those type of shops. Under normal circumstances, Fiona, they'd have been a mad charge in the door at eight o'clock. There can't yeah. be in these circumstances. So, what was it like? 
Yeah, um, you know, I, I suppose after being closed for almost over 14 months and almost 15 months, you would expect uh, a big oh, grand opening ceremony with the ribbon cutting. But because of the level five restrictions, they weren't able to do any of that. So it was just a simple case of opening the, the door beside the Tesco entrance at eight o'clock this morning um, as normal. And then um, at nine o'clock, they opened up the rest of the shopping centre. And it's just business as normal. It's a bit it never happened, really. And um, I suppose that's just one of the the results of having the level five restrictions in place. But I think for the Douglas Village Shopping Centre Management, it was so important to get it open because the initial reopening date was scheduled to be during the summertime. But when the initial lockdown kicked in back in March, April time, construction work at that time was ground to a halt. So all of the work stopped here for three months. So that delayed Mm. the construction there was more delays for Douglas at that point. And then um, to get it open, I suppose it's important to have it open before Christmas so that traders in here are able to pick up on, you know, the, 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 those important weeks before Christmas, those all-important weeks for shoppers. So I think that's why they decided to go ahead and open it now rather than wait any longer. And, you know, I think as the day goes on, well, we have more and more people coming in, but there certainly wasn't a stampede. But as I said, the crowd is definitely picking up. And like the air store here beside me is due to open, but they haven't had stores yet. The butchers, Breslin's butchers are opening up as well. The the coffee shops and uh, the restaurants uh, will be opening for takeaway. Um, so I suppose when the level five restrictions open on the or lift, hopefully on the first of December, we we'll see an awful lot more people here. And I was speaking there to local councillor, um, councillor Mary Rose Desmond, and she was stressing the importance of shopping local and supporting local. And you know, I, I've been speaking to some people here who have been really excited about the opening and have told me that the Douglas Shopping Centre is the heart, really, of Douglas. Without it, there's been a huge, um, a huge void in, yeah. in Douglas that they've really missed. So there's a lot of people very happy here this morning. Okay, I've got some of those people here now that you sent in to us. Well, it's great to have it open. Um, it's badly needed as well. And uh, it was an awful thing that happened over a year ago, really. So damaged Douglas a lot. So it's great now. It's great. Um, well, I don't do my grocery shopping here at all. But I did miss it because of the library and the post office. And it, it's a bit of a buzz and everything else. I think now during the pandemic, it's great to have something nice and fresh and new and decorated for Christmas and everything else. Absolutely brilliant it was sorely missed it really was sorely missed I, I was up at the dawn dressed showered never so organized to come down here it's absolutely brilliant there was, there was nothing in Douglas I don't think there's anything else though that could happen this place it has been so unlucky Tesco's is absolutely Fabulous inside. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. See, Douglas is two sides to the just two sides to the village, you know. There's nothing on this side, no, there's no shops anymore. This is the I just want a bottle of milk. <laughs> I came down for a look. We can't go down here, can we know? But it's fantastic, shall I mean? It's also a sort of a social thing. I mean you have the library and coffee shops and it was sadly missed, you know. We're glad to see it back. 
And I love the sound system pumping out, cooking on three burners in the background. <laughs> now, do you mind and you weren't getting up, showered and washed and all? <laughs> I know, yeah. I think the Christmas decorations are all up here as well. And uh, it's lovely. There's a real atmosphere to the place. And I spoke to Bartok yesterday about the Christmas decorations. And for anybody who's coming in from the Douglas Village side, you see a big mass of uh, Christmas kind of bauble that people can sit inside and there's a big sign outside that saying welcome back mm-hmm. and there's lights the whole way through the shopping centre and he spoke to me yesterday about the team that they have for the Christmas lights this year. We've put a good bit of kind of thought and kind of work to that as well in, in terms of the Christmas scheme we wanted to do obviously with a brand new floor we took an opportunity to make some improvements to the scheme you know within the finishes and stuff and uh, we have a uh, fabulous christmas decorations you know and we're keeping everything in a candy cane gingerbread theme as well so it's very kind of you know traditional and uh, it, it kind of should be appealed to our to, to our customer very well as well you know like we're getting very close to christmas and uh, you know we're not allowed to have any any you know major events or, or, or you know have santa interact with the kids or whatever it may be but you know we're still in a Christmas spirit. We will be in a Christmas mode. Retailers are preparing for their stock for a kind of, you know, Christmas, Christmas, uh, Christmas sale as well. You know, so you know, it's it's you know, we still we still have to get on. You know, and I'm just so excited. You know, like like we've waited 15 months, I think it was, and it's just now there was obviously a lot of hard work. Uh, I, I probably I want to take this opportunity to thank everybody involved in the project, all of the customers that have been so patient, all of the tenants that have kind of worked with us. And he's a bit of a local celebrity too around around Douglas. Everybody knows him now at this stage. Hi, Bart, how are you doing? When do we open? Yeah, 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 it's great. It's great to and see you. Poor and I man, he was, he was very, very stressed yesterday when I called over on the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fiona, we, we will catch up with you a couple of times during the morning. We're going to clean up that line as well and try and get a better signal from you, but we will touch base with you a couple of times during the morning because I know you're going to be meeting people and interviewing people there at the, at the reopening this morning. So I'll leave you go for now. That's Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, down at Douglas Village Shopping Centre, reopened, obviously under Level 5 limitations, reopened for the first time since the devastating fire at the end of August 2019. And you know what? They said to us back in the late summer, Bartis said, it'll be the 12th of November and here we are on the 12th of November. But what you mightn't know, and younger listeners certainly wouldn't know, the history of Douglas Village Shopping Centre. Many years ago, myself and my buddies used to race shopping trolleys around the car park. We were little devils. And right back then, a man called Michael O'Connor, well, your dad, Michael, wasn't it, had a pharmacy yeah. there. Please, please, please don't reveal how old I am. But when was this? Um, he took it over, well, uh, it was started in 1976. Good God! Good God! Yeah. Uh, July 76. 44 so, years um, ago. Yeah, so we're going on for the 45 years next year, so it was, uh, I'm delighted to be open Prior to prior to that year, do you know what I mean? No, so, we we uh, talked at the time of the fire, and you very smartly got a vacant outlet yeah, at the edge of the woollen mills. That was a lifesaver. It was. It was. It kept uh, it kept our name above the door of a, of a premises, certainly in Douglas. Um, uh, it's it's such a competitive industry. So if you if your name goes, you can you you, you can lose your business very quickly. So look, it, it was a tough tough fourteen and a half months, but. Uh, it's funny, I turned the key this morning and it was like I never actually left. Um, so, uh, you know, it's great to be back. It's great to see people in the mall. Um, beautiful. It's actually lovely. I heard Bartha talking about the uh, improvements they've made and it's, it is looking actually very well.
Describe the difference to me. They decided not just to reopen, but to do a complete refit, refurb. Yeah, they, they've, they've retiled the entire mall. So it's a, there's, a, there's a lovely finish on the, on the tiling in, in the mall. Um, the, the toilets have been, have been upgraded. Um, so they were damaged in the fire. Um, there's lovely decorations out front. Um, yeah, so in general, it's just, it's just, it just looks a, le- a lot cleaner, um, I suppose, after 10 years of, of, of this uh, before the fire. But yeah. it looks great. It looks Good. great. Good. Now, you would have thought that a business like yours in the time of a pandemic, one of the shops that's open all the time, you'd have been... But the, the pan, on top of having to move out to across the road, the pandemic was was was, was hard as well, was it? It does. Well, it, 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 I suppose, look, it, 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 at the start of the pandemic, we we all had the fear of, 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 of COVID-19 as to what, what will it do to us if we even step outside our front door. So there was a, a huge drop-off in, in, in customers. There was a fear factor. People didn't want to even go to sites where there could be multiple other people. So um, as, as much as pharmacies were allowed to stay open, no one really wanted to congregate where other people are. So our customers sort of dropped off. But we had a delivery service, so we, we, um, we, that just ramped up. Um, we started a website, so kind of pharmacy, Douglas.ie. I might as well get my plug in. Um, so that helped as well. Um, and we could just serve customers that way. Yeah. Um, so it was great. Yeah, but this I think is very much for you anyway, Michael. It's a homecoming. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's, it's where I I listening to you there about uh, racing trolleys around the, the car park. <laughs> they play around in the in the in the. I can't tell you what it was in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the shopping centre. It was some kind of collage of concrete. But that's how far I remember um, going back, and um, I've, I've seen the from the un- uncovered shopping centre to the what it's morphed into today. So, yeah. um, no, it's, it's, it's brilliant to be back. Yeah, you know? and like it's one of the callers on the, on the Vox Pop there said, or one of the people on the Vox Pop said, it's been, through, it's been through the mill. I mean, you had the fire, but people should remember the flood as well in 2012. Like, oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> the the shopping yeah. centres had its fair share of... It's, uh, but that's life, you know. Some people are, uh, you know, someone said, you know, you, you've, <laughs> you've had resilience, lots of resilience, but it's like... That. They stay ups and downs of business, the ups and downs of life. Um, so yeah, it's uh, but there's a there's a logo on, on the Douglas uh, Village Shopping Centre, it's the heart. So um, it's the heart of Douglas, and 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 I suppose it, it lives and breathes here. So it, it goes through. Everybody goes through its own trials and tribulations, uh, as 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 does the shopping centre. Yeah. Well, so, I'm, uh, I'm absolutely delighted for everybody involved there this yeah, morning great, that you're all open again. Open. I can't wait to pop in to say hello to everybody. Michael O'Connor from Pharmacy First Plus in business in Douglas and in that centre since his dad opened a pharmacy there in 1976. And they're back this morning after the fire. 1850 The Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh will be there around quarter past ten uh, to walk around and uh, examine and obviously give his seal of approval to the new centre. And we will touch base with Douglas Village Shopping Centre during the morning with various business owners and business holders and indeed uh, customers as we get them. 1850-715-996. Now, we've got some snooker news. Yes, Aaron Hill. Young Aaron Hill from Cork. Snooker sensation. We know all about him at this stage. 1-5-2 against England's Billy Joe Castle at the Marshall Arena in Milton Keynes to set up a possible meeting with Ken Doherty. Should Doherty beat Liang Wenbo this afternoon, or is it next Wednesday afternoon? Nice one. Nice one. 
So Ken Doherty could possibly, or Aaron Hill could possibly be facing up against Ken Doherty very, very soon. Let us hope that we can get that one on the telly. It'd be nice. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> Nags remembers as a, as a child being dragged around Quinsworth on a Saturday. Happy day. And Johnny Giles Sports. That's, I remember Johnny Giles came down to open... The, the sports shop when he was like the biggest star in the world or one of them anyway of huge days in Douglas back back in the day 40 odd years ago and now it's open again and pristine and gorgeous and looking forward to Christmas and as I said we will be back there uh, during this morning 1850-715-996 now they're starting COVID drive through testing at Cork Airport today we've been talking about this since the very start of the pandemic, that with the aviation sector and with the travel sector, one way to get us travelling again, eventually, once we get this thing under control again, is to have tests before you fly and tests when you land. And, you know, a combination of good testing and good quarantine and good restriction can maybe get us back to some sense of, of normality in terms of travel. And we might be able to think in terms of a holiday, a foreign holiday again, sometime in 2021. The company behind the testing at the airports is RockDoc, and the chief executive is David Rock. David, good morning to you. Good morning, and thank you for having me on too. Good to talk to you. You're setting up in Cork as of today. What? How does it work? How does, how does it operate? Yes, so we're down here at Cork Airport as we speak, uh, getting ready to open. So people will be able to come in um register on our website, uh, covidcheck.ie, and that'll give them access to the RockDuck portal. They can make an appointment, um, turn up just at the appointment time, get swabbed, and they can have either a lamp or a PCR test, so both molecular tests. And what's a lamp? So you have um, lamp technology is, it's an old technology, it's nothing new that was designed for COVID. It's, it, it's been there just like PCR has been. But the difference with lamp is we can turn around results much faster. So with the express version of lamp, we can do it within a, a few hours. And then the PCR is the standard one that, that's being used by, by the HSE to test for, for, for COVID. So, so who do you expect will be your customers? Because it's a private business. We'll have to pay for it. Who, who do you expect will be your customers? So we see it being divided into three, really. So obviously, at the moment, people are having difficulty with safe travel for essential travel. So some of the key workers out there that do still, unfortunately, need to travel to keep businesses and industries alive. 
Um, they need a facility to be able to be tested and to travel safely. Um, we see it'll be some time before the general public, and as you mentioned just previously there, about holidays and stuff like that, it, it, that'll take a little bit of time. But what we're finding at the moment is we have a lot of industries that need to stay open during this time, and that's where Rock Doc can step, step in and keep them safe. So they can do a preventative checks. Um, on a regular basis. So if one member of staff does become unfortunately down with COVID, we can remove them from the workplace quite quickly without it being widespread. The other side, I suppose, and we're fi- finding this is getting bigger and bigger, is people needing to visit sick relatives and friends and loved ones. Yeah. Um, and they're just afraid to, to go and visit them because they're they're afraid that they may give them COVID. So one of the, that's, some people are coming um, to be tested for, for that aspect of it. So it's all really about holding people's hands and making sure that they're feeling safe and that we're not putting the public at risk. As we come towards Christmas, of course, a lot of us are looking at visiting maybe relatives we haven't seen in many months, let alone having to travel home to Ireland, but even to travel up and down the country. And you mightn't be too sure about going to see, you know, Uncle Joe. You haven't seen him since March. You really want to see him for Christmas. Why not get tested before you go to make sure? And, and, and that's kind of what, what what we're hoping that people will be sensible about this and and not put themselves at risk. And indeed, obviously, with, with, with Santi visit and everything else, Santi can't be cancelled this year, so he has to be safe. Yeah. Now the test is one hundred and forty nine euros, so it's 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 not cheap. But at the same time, it's 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 aimed at a particular market. But like, let us say, for example, Sarah from from Farinree wants to go to the Canaries next summer. As she books her holidays, um, can she then book a test with you guys in advance? And is that a, a test result that will get her through airports? And at the other end, will she have to quarantine, even if she has a, a negative test in her hand? Yeah, so there's been very big progress um, this week, as you know, with the traffic light and the EU system. So um, that's really what this is all designed for, that uh, we can actually do this safely. Uh, Part of it is definitely it's looking at advance. Um, It's not looking for now. So if we look at the system that's in place as of today, there's the 72 hours prior to travel, you would have to have a COVID negative test. And um, that's one of the things we can do with PCR. There is some countries that will accept LAMP and others require PCR. So that's why we're offering both both tests at the moment. But yeah. we're finding most of the industries prefer the more rapid version, the quicker quicker turnaround for workforce, and the the air travel. It's it's been a mixture. Yeah, the test at either end of a trip overseas, no matter whether it's for business or pleasure, that's pricey. That's three hundred quid, like. Yes, and it, it's the PCR is one two nine, and then the the, the lamp is one four nine. So um, it's peace of mind to go with it as well. It's just one of these things that how we're going to have to learn to to live with COVID and and, and be safe at the same time. Mm. So if I needed one now, I go to the website and I book it. How how quickly can I be seen? Like if I want to test now, how quickly can I be seen? Well, if you go onto the COVID check website. Put in all your details, register it, and go through some of the consent and understanding of what the test involves. And it brings you the next page of that will bring you straight on to booking, making a booking. If you went on right now, you could have a booking in the next half hour. Really? So what we what we found is there was one or two here this morning that have turned up without a booking. They've gone into a holding area. Um, they've spent about two, three, four minutes registering on on the system. 
and then um, they can come and then have, have a swab then straight off. Right. And for the PCR, it can take how long to come back? Uh, it's one to three days. It all depends on the, on how busy that day is. Yeah. We we, we, allow, we say allow three working days just yeah. because we're very aware of people spending large money on travel, on, on flights. So we really do want to give that extra. The day. reason I ask is I was talking to a doctor from Cork, actually, who returned to China a couple of weeks ago. And he remarked how at the airport he was tested on arrival, PCR test on arrival. And the result took about three hours because they had effectively a lab there and then in in a portable or a temporary structure. They had a lab there and then. Are we anywhere near that, a a lab facility next door to the testing centre that you could turn it over in a few hours? Oh yes, that's that's totally what the what the plan is. Um, we're just waiting for the final piece of legislation to change, which did this week, so we could put some infrastructure onto site. So if we look at the Shannon Airport, we we took delivery of the lab there yesterday uh, of, of this week, um, and that will be going live later on today with the lab on site. And we're hoping to roll that out to Cork then, um, with it very very shortly. And um, with the lab on site, how fast is my PCR turnaround? It'll be a lot, lot quicker. I mean, we're we're hoping we can get it down to same day, but we're not at that stage yet. That's uh, that's certainly the goal. Right, and that would, and, and then the lamp. How quick is the lamp turnaround? So anything from two to four hours for the express, and the maximum time that it takes us to do the to the um, lamp would be within twelve hours. But uh, and is then is that off site too? Like, will you be able to do that nope. on site? No, LAMP is all on-site. The PCR would, would generally be off-site. Um, as I say, we are looking to develop something, but the LAMP aspect of it will be done on-site, and that's why we're working with the HSE to, to get that validated for air travel. Okay. Listen, good luck with it, because it's a facility that, unfortunately, we're going to have to get used to using these kind of things, and, and, and it's going to become part of our lives if, if we want to travel in the immediate to foreseeable future. David, thank you very much. David Rock, Chief Executive of Rock Dock. Uh, and look, it's not cheap. It's a cost that will attach to your holiday. It's a cost that will attach to your trip to see Auntie Sarah. But that's where we are at the moment. Actually, I see in Dublin, and it's a hotel I've actually stayed in a few years ago. There's a, a hotel. It's not the same company now, but there's a hotel on the Dublin airport campus. It's their Carlton Hotel. Stayed there a few years ago. They're now offering this, and the, this is this. If you like, if you, if you, if you ask me, is is business acumen at its at its best? At the Carlton Hotel in Dublin Airport, you can now book a test, rest, and fly package. A test, rest, and fly. So it's bed and breakfast and a test. You book into the Carlton Hotel for a one night stay with a test, and the test will obviously tell you whether you're negative and clear to fly the test will be back to you in less than 24 hours and you have your bed and breakfast as well and that's 249 euro per person it's not cheap but it's business acumen and I imagine that'll happen we've got that brilliant hotel up at the airport I could see that happening the, the, the airport international hotel I've stayed there many times one of my favourite hotels in the world not just in Ireland I could just imagine them doing it as well their park test and fly this is the new world my friends this is the world in which we now live Cork's 96FM's hit mix is one year online so to celebrate we're giving away 500 euro to one loyal listener 500 euro for your chance to win follow Cork's 96FM on Instagram now tag your mates then share it in your insta stories using the hashtag hit mix money hit mix money, money.
500 euros. Cork's 96 FM's Hit Mix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. We will be popping back down to Douglas Village Shopping Centre on a number of occasions this morning as we celebrate, and it is cause for celebration, the reopening of the centre in the wake of the fire of 2019. Back there uh, during the morning. And any of your memories are welcome too. I was just, the Lord Mayor rang back to say he was enjoying our little bit of nostalgia. He used to work there in Quinsworth back in the day. Do you remember Quinsworth? Remember Morris Pratt, the Quinsworth ad? on the television and we had a Quindworth down there and Morris Pratt came down one day he was the boss, just a boss in in Quinsworth who became a television star an unlikely television star with the ads for Quinsworth and I happened to meet Morris Pratt in later life and did you ever meet a man who kind of regretted becoming famous because he couldn't cross the road but everybody knew him as the man from Quinsworth but like when he turned up down there ah it's back in the 80s I'd say now this stage there was a mob a mob to meet. He was a shopkeeper. 1850-715-996 open again today. Did you see that story in the news the last few days? Talk about confusing. This story that on Tuesday, was it Tuesday? Yeah, I forget what day I have. On Tuesday, we were hearing that there was 600,000 flu vaccines missing. And then yesterday, oh no, no, they're not missing at all. We just haven't let them go out yet. What the hell is all that about? In the midst of it, we have very strong advice to parents to bring the children for their flu vaccine. There is no shortage of that. There's plenty of it. And they want us to bring the children for the flu vaccine. Kevin's making a point on Twitter about family holidays. And Mick tells me that there's a class action in Germany over PCR tests. We'll, we'll, We'll come back to those. But the flu vaccine, it's been a very confusing week if you're trying to follow the news about the flu vaccine. If you're one of these people that wants to get one, you wonder when you might get one because there seems to be a shortage. But there's no shortage for the children. And it's a new vaccine as well for the children. So Dr. Eleanor Galvin, who's uh, from Cork, but we'll forgive you for emigrating to Dublin on us, Eleanor. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good. It's 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 the first time we've been able to get this children's vaccine here, but it's 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 been around a while. Yes, and we've we've gotten it in an occasion in, in the past for children who are vulnerable. So it has been used in Ireland, but it was only available for free in England and in America, um, but for quite a long time now. And it's it's a nasal spray. It's very simple to give. Yeah, it's a nasal spray. Are there after effects for the children? Um, no, generally not. Um, like you can get, it may be very slight temperature, uh, have a sneeze or two afterwards, but, but not. We haven't seen any problems with it in any of the quite a large amount that we've now given. Um, and if, if your child gets a flu this winter, your child will be sent home from school. Everybody in the family will have to stay home from work um, and your other children will be able to go to school until it's cleared up whether your child has the flu or not or if the child has COVID. So if, you're, if you take that out of the equation for this winter, 
your child will get their normal schooling, they won't get sick with the flu, and that whole cloud of whether or not you have COVID uh, will be taken out of the equation, which, which, which is a big thing for families at the moment. How long does the protection last? For the flu season. So um, generally flu vaccine lasts from, say, September through to April. That's our flu season. So you're covered for our flu season. Okay. This is a, a daft question, but why is this not usable for the adult vaccine if we have a shortage of the adult vaccine in the system why could adults not take this is it just a different vaccine yeah and it's a different strength and a different dose for a child um it, it's not um licensed for adults oh. so um pharmaceutical companies would get a license and they would prove effectiveness for a certain age group but obviously the nasal flu vaccine they can have only used it and have proved it for children so therefore, they can't just give it to adults. And the same the other way around, you can't just give adult drugs to children unless you have a lot of data um, for that. And, and we are working through people who are most vulnerable and most um, likely to get flu um, from mm. the elderly, people with other um, conditions, carers, healthcare workers, and hopefully more flu is coming, um, more flu um, stock is coming for yeah. adults. Yeah, well, was there a shortage or were there flu doses missing or what was the story? I don't believe there's any flu doses missing. I would say a lot have been given um, to the correct people, but it takes, I suppose, GP surgeries. We, we give the doses, then we upload the data to HSE software to show that we've given it to the right people. And that takes a time for us to do all our paperwork in the midst of a pandemic. Of course. Listener yeah. says here she's taken her daughter for the children's nasal spray. She was fine, no side effects. Normally she'd end up with chest infections and hopefully there won't be any flu for yeah. the winter this year. Yeah, you could so end up like that really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so that to get through this winter, with your, the hope is to keep all our kids in school uh, and to keep all of them well. Um, teenagers wear masks in school, and I hope that they don't come down with the flu either. Yeah. Um, or other people who are taking really good um, measures to hand wash and socially distance. It's very hard to tell a four or five-year-old not to hug their friend. Yeah, they, they're all over them. So at least if they have the, the flu vaccine on board, that's one less thing that will keep them out of school or have that worry about COVID. Do you know all these things we're doing just to avoid getting COVID, washing the hands a dozen times a day, covering our faces, keeping space between? Is that having a side effect, Eleanor, on the flu? Is it possible that we could end up with a less serious so. flu season because I, of that? Yeah, I absolutely hope so. I would think think that it is working to a certain extent the 2 to 12 year olds are the people who aren't masked and possibly are the people who are harder to social distance uh, and that just has to be accepted as a fact but I, I, this year I mean I have been surprised how little chicken pox we've seen or other sort of contagious diseases which is very nice or gastric bugs or you know, you know the usual sort of bread and butter of GP surgery yeah um, those things, we, we haven't been seeing them. Yeah. It's um, an interesting side effect, isn't it, it? It is, and I would wonder how crashes are faring with their usual things that people are out of. Um, it, I'm sure that, that those sort of um, illnesses are down as well. Okay. Eleanor, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Eleanor Galvin uh, at Rosemont Family Doctors in Rathfarnham in Dublin, but she's from Cork, so we'll forgive her the emigration. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Plenty of children's flu vaccine out there. It is free. It is effective, and there are no side effects. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Courts ninety six FM. Message coming on the subject of the flu vaccine. 
for the children, which they are all encouraging us to get the children vaccinated this year more than any other. And the, the doctor I had on there before 10, uh, Dr. Galvin, was explaining why we should uh, vaccinate as many small children and young, young children as we can against the flu this season. Because in the context of the pandemic, it, it just means that if you eliminate the flu from a checklist, as it were, it's going to make life much easier uh, for everybody in, in, in the household. Now, one mom got on to us to say she has a 12-year-old daughter, has never had an antibiotic in her life, and she'd rather not get this vaccine for her child, as her immunity is so good. These man-made chemicals are no good for our children. Our good old immunity is our vaccine. And you know what I'd say to that, Mum? I'm delighted that you have such a healthy 12-year-old daughter who's never needed an antibiotic in her life. I am thrilled for her, but not every child is as healthy and not every child has such wonderful natural immunity. And that is why we give most of our children vaccines to protect not just them, but others. A lot of people commenting as well on what I was saying about the, the tests at the airport, talking to Rock Doc earlier this morning, the gaffer at Rock Doc saying, look, it's going to add, say, to the cost of a family holiday. It's going to add to this, add to that. And it's, it's a money making and it's this and it's that. Look, it's going to be the reality for maybe next year anyway if nothing, and, and possibly the year after as well until we get some kind of effective vaccine until we get to the end of this pandemic testing is going to be a reality and you can see a business opportunity I can see a huge business opportunity here for example for travel agents I could see a huge business opportunity for travel insurers for example when you buy your travel insurance you purchase it annually or you purchase it for your holiday alone that you can actually buy a test with your travel insurance. And if, for example, a travel insurance company, and personally I buy my travel insurance from one particular company every year, if that company goes to a testing provider and says, we are going to buy 40,000 tests, can you imagine that will drive the price down? So there's a business opportunity here for people. 1850 This came in yesterday, and I read it out, and I'm aware, I've been made aware, during the news that the family are actually listening at the moment. So they've reached out to us and in turn we'll try to reach out to the people that we know to see can they help. This text came in yesterday to 083 396 96 96. I'm texting you as we're in a desperate state as to where to turn with my brother. He is suicidal at the moment and he has self-harmed. He was taken to the mercy and discharged and then told see his GP. He's saying he doesn't want to live. We're at our wit's end and we don't know where to turn. And that kind of fear, I think, uh, Tom McAvoy, Pieta House, he's the funding and advocacy manager at Pieta. That kind of fear is, is one you wouldn't wish on any family, is it, Tom? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having Pieta present today. Um, yes, it is the most dreadful um, fear of coming face to face with something like that. But, you know, it's very sensitive as well. And we in Pieta are only too aware of people in that situation constantly. And, uh, and we are here to help. So just to, to give some hope to that person who's, who's trying to treat and deal with their loved one at the moment. So... 
Uh, in Pieta, we're, we're all about trying to prevent those uh, from completing suicide or, you know, challenged by uh, life's events uh, in, in lots of ways. And, um, you know, we, we are there to help. We have a centre in Cork City, uh, we're delighted to say as well, mm. uh, up and running now for many, many years, treating and helping people in your community there, you know, all the time. So, um, you know, just, I suppose, the fact that people, that that person is looking out for their brother is just amazing. Okay, and that that is that is a real solid uh, step forward in, in trying to help. So maybe maybe help is not available as easily as they thought it perhaps is, but in fact it is. And by by that person reaching out to Pieta right now on our 1800-247-247 number, mm. it's a free phone number, it's available 24-7, and 365 days of the year, uh, there's a therapist on the other end of that phone uh, who will gladly take the call and listen to the circumstances that this person is in, uh, either from the person who is in a suicide ideation or from the friend or the family member who is, who is helping. I was just about uh, to ask that question. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the person themselves who picks up the phone. No, absolutely not. We just must imagine where that person is uh, in their mind at the moment in relation to their crisis, uh, the person who is suicidal. So it is very, very difficult to make that first step and to to really be, you know, in the in in a place of being able to converse perhaps with somebody. So maybe somebody doing it on their behalf initially is is a, is a great sort of a door opener, I suppose, if you want to call it that, to be able to access uh, uh, therapy. So by somebody doing it on their behalf, it might be easier to comprehend and, and, and just work out how, how the process works from there. It is very, very simple. The phone is, is manned by professional therapists all the time. So somebody will be there on the other end of that line waiting for, uh, you know, the, the call. And uh, then what we will do, hopefully, is um, invite that uh, the person into Pieta, into our Cork Centre, mm. and uh, we'll go on a journey with that person. We'll do an initial assessment. The assessment lasts roughly an hour. And then uh, we'll work out where, where that person is at, uh, you know, on, on a scale. And uh, if if we need to see that person absolutely immediately, we will, and uh, we'll we'll go on that journey. Our the, therapy, the two questions that arise, Tom, in most people's minds then would be: Well, how long does it take, and what mm-hmm. does it cost? Okay. Well, I'm glad to say that thanks to the community of Ireland for helping us to continue with our completely free of charge service. Mm-hmm. We are able to say that that person doesn't need to consider fund, funding or money at all. Uh, so uh, that's one one box ticked, I suppose. The other is, uh, depending on where the person is in their crisis, uh, they will go on a journey with us, probably for about 12 sessions, lasting an hour at a time, roughly, after the initial assessment. So, you know, we, we will hear their story we will really you know find out what is causing or what is creating this this thought and it could be a series of issues in their life that perhaps one one little thing has has created 
the final uh, thought of of them wanting to uh, to die by suicide. So we we will judge that, uh, but that's the only time they will have to tell their story to us because they will be uh, designated a therapist uh, who will who will um, uh, be their therapist from beginning to end okay. so that they don't have to retell their story. And that is a real fundamental um, bonus with, with, with how we deal with a client coming in the door. Once you're assigned... not reinforcing their story in their own minds. Once you're assigned to the therapist, that therapist takes you through the course. Correct, yes, from beginning to end. And uh, it's just, it's an amazing transition in people when you see people coming up to our door in Pieta and they see the candle at the door in a little lantern, they immediately get a sense that this is different and this is somewhere maybe that I can be understood because often people who are sort of, you know, in a thought process that they're finding it very difficult to break and they often use the term of being in a very dark tunnel uh, you know, they, they cannot, they, they're finding it very difficult to see that light at, at the end of the tunnel. Whereas we are that light, we are that hope. And maybe by just pushing that door open in Pieta and, you know, coming to us, uh, that can be the, 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 the difference sometimes. Mm. And I know for family, it can be really anxious times and they're really doing well to stay on this. And, you know, even by contacting by text, to uh, to reach out to you, you know th- that is really honourable, and and you know if e- even if other people are listening, and maybe you know th- they have family members or friends during this time of crisis as well, especially you know when we're all living a little bit closer together, perhaps in family ma- family uh, modules. Uh, I, I mean, you know you're you're seeing habits, you're seeing people maybe you know doing different things to what they would normally do and, and reacting, you know, to, to uh, various uh, events differently. So maybe just sitting down with somebody at, at, at a time and working out, you know, where they're at in their lives and are they okay? And m- maybe just listening for the answer and, and, and then, you know, uh, t- taking them perhaps to a place that, that is really, you know, in, in a safe space to say, look, we can help you or, or we can get help for you yeah. if you need that help. Because that's really the key to me- moving somebody on when they hear that you are concerned about them. And maybe by using the word, you know, did suicide uh, cross your mind? You know, by using that term or something like that, uh, that can be a difference between people understanding where they're at as well, maybe. And it's the first time that they've thought, oh, my God, maybe I am in that zone yeah. and maybe I do need that extra help. Yeah. One eight hundred twenty four seven twenty four seven is is your number, and the, as you, the, the therapist on the on the end of that. We but, also have a text line as well. Yes, just for those who can't verbalise how they feel or how they are, okay, and they might find it difficult to to do that at times, because oftentimes people who ring that number who are in the crisis, we actually get into a breathing, um, you know, uh, therapy with them initially to calm things down and to try and help them you know, uh, just collect their thoughts. But if people can't do that and they can't phone that free phone number that you've given the number out to, we have a free text line, which is 51444. 51444. And somebody can text us to say that they're in trouble and that they need a bit of uh, support and help. There is a therapist on the other end of that text line as well. 
and that 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 often is used by younger people or by people you know who are savvy and texting and you know all that sort of stuff and that really is, is a great great way of them connecting with us and then and then again like the free phone number we'll help them and we'll redirect them towards towards the actual centers and the help that we that they need now, not for a moment assuming that uh, this applies to the family who, who who contacted us i don't know whether it does or not but has the the covid 19 crisis and, and the pandemic has it led to an increase in inquiries for Peter? It ha- absolutely has, no question about it. Our numbers, ha- uh, the, the number of calls answered by Pieta is now at 15,000 uh, by comparison to roughly half that this time last year for the period of COVID that we've been dealing with. So our data clearly says that people are in a high, higher anxious uh, state, uh, higher anxiety in our society. And therefore, you know, that moves on to to other things and to uh, you know people uh, feeling that uh, you know life is very very challenging at the moment and 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 that is why you know there are services like Pieta out there in the community you know also Samaritans do a great job at the moment as well and there are all sorts of you know other um, frontline you know services there that people can access and I and I know it's challenging at the time to work it out and to see which one suits your needs. But actually, don't hesitate to make a phone call somewhere to someone to maybe even get a, a, a redirection. We often get calls from people, you know, who, who maybe are not suited to, to what we have. And, uh, you know, we use our resource very carefully. And, and, and we, we redirect that person okay. to, a, to a local service where we know that they might get better help or more suitable help. So it's, you know, it's incumbent upon us all to look out for each other at the moment, especially around now, because we are going through a particularly, you know, really unusual, unprecedented of the word that's used. People are very fragile at the moment. Yeah, people are, but also extremely resilient as well in yeah. a lot of cases. You know, and the resilient ones are the ones that we're asking now to uh, to look out for the ones who are have that, you know, maybe time in their lives when they are less resilient and, and maybe need that little bit of, uh, you know, of a shoulder for someone to, to turn to. Okay. So, you know, it's, 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 I don't wish to paint a picture of simplicity in, in how people can, can help each other. However, you know, if we can look out and, and make, you know, that initial uh, move to help somebody, it's amazing that simple journey that, that you can help somebody with and by even asking them, how are you? And listening out for the answer, that that can be the difference between somebody, you know, looking or getting help and not perhaps. All right, listen, Tom. Thank you very much for your time today, and uh, congratulations on the work that you do, and best of luck for the future uh, in the work that uh, Pieta House does, or Pieta, as they call themselves these days. I think they'll always be, particularly for Cork people, it'll always be Pieta House, even though the official name of the charity these days is. Now, for the family that contacted us yesterday, I hope that that conversation was helpful. I hope that from that you have learned that the help is there and that you can reach out for it on behalf of the troubled person. And that, I think, is one of the big takes from my conversation with Tom. The number that you, and I'm talking directly to the family now who I know are listening, the number that you can call now if you want to, it's 1-800-247-247. It doesn't have to be your brother. 
you can call that number now. 1-800-247-247. Also, if you feel that a phone call might be a bit hard, you can text 51444. They say to put the word help in the text, but 51444 and somebody will come back to you. You'll be speaking to a qualified therapist who will guide you and or your brother down the next path. And, indeed, the most important element, there is no charge for any of this. 1850-715-996. That number, again, one 800 247 There's somebody at that number now who can help. The other number he, the, the other organisation that Tom mentioned are the Samaritans. We should never forget that the Samaritans are always there. Very, very special people. 116-123. Someone is there right now. 116-123. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway is coming. Get ready for fun and play because we're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. For free. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. On 083 3 96 96 96. Cork's 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway starts Monday from 6 a.m. with Johnson and Parrot, Douglas Bishopstown and Matten Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. Only on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork's-96FM-Cork
No, we're not hearing anything more than what we read, to be honest. But, um, you know, we were all set up proper with proper social distancing for level two. Um, so I, I personally feel there's very little difference in terms of risk at level two or level three. Mm. Because obviously everybody's sitting, you know, at least a meter apart and all of the protocols are in place. And so uh, in terms of safety, I don't think there's, there's you know, any more risk than um, anywhere else in the community yeah. um, at level two. And so it seems to me to be sensible to go to level two, but obviously they have to be cautious. But we they appreciate do. that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Where, where you are there in the corner uh, with Pacino's, from memory, you've got a good space outside. So would you be in a position, for example, to, to put some tables out in the, in the concourse to, to allow you to continue? No, unfortunately, that doesn't count as outside seating. It's all out outside the cafe. It's, it's not in the open within, air. within yeah. the building, yeah. So uh, if, if we're still at level three, then we'll have to just stay with takeaway. Okay. Um, but hopefully we'll get to level two um, shortly, even if it's not before Christmas, which obviously we're praying it will be. Then yeah. uh, we'd hope early in the new year with all the talk of the vaccines, etc. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll see you guys for coffee Saturday morning uh, when well, you're you open can up. take a whole breakfast home with you. You know, we're going to have the whole menu with it. Available Brilliant. Fan- fantastic. <laughs> we'll, Alistair, we'll look good, to good, good luck with it and, and good luck to you and your lovely staff. Thank you so much. Thanks, PJ. Yeah, Cheers. they are absolutely brilliant. And it's Cheers. great that, that, that we managed to keep them. Uh, yeah. Uh, so they'll all be here. Yeah. They're always happy and smiling and, and full of the joys and funny slogans all over the, the, the place. That's Pacino's Alistair Spink. Not open yet. They've not got the power in yet, but they're going to open for takeaway with their full menu Saturday morning. And yes, I am biased. I love the place. I absolutely love it. 1850-715-996 on the subject of Pieta and the family that we are trying to help and I hope that the family got something from my conversation with Tom if nothing else the, the, the realisation that you're not alone there is help at the end of the phone and you can ask for that help on his behalf he doesn't have to ask there are too many services out there where the individual in the crisis has to ask and when you're in a crisis that's probably one of the last things you're going to do God, how many times have I spoken to John Freeman over the years, the founder of Beta House. You're not in a place to make that call sometimes. So at least the family can. And the number again to remind you is one 800 247 This message that came in to us said, can I just say I have been there and Pieta are excellent. 1850-715-996. We're also getting a couple of calls about the flu vaccine for the children. And I spoke before 10 about the flu vaccine for the children and, and with Dr. Eleanor Galvin. And she told me very clearly that it's only for the children. It's the nasal spray, nasal spray, only for the children. She said to me that it's not licensed for adults 
and that would be probably of no use to adults anyway. But yet we've had two calls in the last 20 minutes that say, one woman said, my daughter brought her two children for vaccination and they gave the nasal spray to her as well. Will it work for her? We've had two calls of that nature. That's strange. That's one we might, we might look into that. We might look into that. 1850-715-996. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Brian Deedy's December show at Cypress Avenue has now been rescheduled to take place at the venue on Saturday, March 6th. Tickets for the original show are valid for the March date with more information and more tickets available from the venue's website, cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Broken Crow in association with the Everyman in Garter Lane presents The Snow Queen, a new audio drama for all the family running from November 23rd to Friday, December 18th. It's a new eight-part serial audio adaptation of The Snow Queen by Deirdre Dwyer and you can check out everymancork.com for more details. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Cork's 96FM. Student nurses are in crisis again in the midst of this uh, pandemic. Overworked, undervalued, getting no pay for extraordinary work in extraordinary times. They're doing an awful lot more than as student nurses they ever expected. Cork 96. F.M. Tessa, you got in touch with us because I think you reckon that People aren't getting the message about student nurses during this pandemic. You're not just watching what's going on. You're actually doing the work on the front line. Yes, exactly. And I think the issue that we have as student nurses is that we're not being acknowledged. We're exhausted and we're drained. We're overwhelmed and everything from the work that we're doing. And it's the fact that we're we're considered as the essential workers. We're in the hospital, not as essential students. They're calling us essential workers. That is why we're allowed to mainly work in the hospital, you know? You have to do this as part of your training anyway. So pandemic or not, you'd be in the hospital. Yeah, exactly. But see, the thing is, it's not the normal circumstances that we're used to. The wards are so short-staffed that many of the nurses don't have the time to teach us. Like, we're usually there for an educational program. It's an educational placement, as Stephen Donnelly said, uh, the Minister of Health. But we're not being taught. And it's not the fault of the nurses because they're doing the best that they can with what they have. Um. But it's just because they're so short-staffed that we're carrying out the tasks that the other nurses cannot do. And we're working 30, maybe sometimes more. Like, I got asked to do overtime there the other day um, because they're just so short-staffed because the other nurses or the other healthcare assistants are out due to COVID. And do you get paid for that overtime? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> nothing. We get we get nothing. And the thing is, is all that um, bothers us is that the business students, they're on placement at the moment, as far as I'm concerned, and they're actually getting paid as well for their placement. But the, the nurses, the student nurses, 
and midwives were getting nothing at all. So what could, what do you do on a, on a typical shift, Tessa? Um, so we start, well, where I am, I start at quarter to eight. So I have to get up at five and get the bus and everything. By the time I'm in there, like the buses, you know yourself, they're quite unreliable. But um, So we get in there, we start at uh, quarter to eight, a handover, and then we just go about the normal shift. We go and t- attend to the patient's uh there's usually maybe three or four other nurses on. But at the moment, there should be healthcare assistants as well. But you, because of the student nurses that were there, they send the healthcare assistants where they're needed most. So the student nurses are working equivalently as healthcare assistants as well. And we're caring for the patients exactly like a registered nurse would do for 12 hours or more. And we're not seen as a student nurse by our patients because they depend on us. And we hold their hands, we wipe their tears. We're there when they need us the most. And we're happy, we're happy to be there. However, it's when we come home and the anxiety kicks in where we're so afraid to give our loved ones a hug because we're afraid of spreading on their virus, you know? And we're struggling with that. We need the support. We want to be acknowledged and we're just exhausted from it. We have our own study to be doing. We have to look after ourselves. And I know many of us uh, have to provide for our own families. We have to pay for accommodation. We pay for our meals and transport. Um, and I know one, one of my friends, she's actually, because she, she's living away, she's here and she's actually has to skip meals and everything just so that she can actually pay for her accommodation to go on placement. And we're getting no support at all. And we're not being acknowledged for what they're saying that we are. We're essential workers, essentially. We're not the essential students mm. in the hospital. Some people would say, Tessa, that, well, when you signed up to study nursing, you, you knew this would happen and you knew you wouldn't be paid while you were in the hospital. So what has changed? Yes, exactly. And I completely, I was asking myself the exact same uh, same thing. And I'm delighted I chose nursing. And in the first year, I understood that. I had, uh, when we were on placement in first year, I understood that this was a part of it um, and everything. But this year, I think I just came to realise that while they do say it's educational placement, we're not the getting the education educational facilities that they said that we would because of the COVID, because of everything else. And uh, when they recognised us as uh, essential workers at the beginning of COVID and when uh, they took us on uh, and paid us as a, as a healthcare, at the healthcare rate, um, they saw us as essential workers. Yeah, I I thought that, I had that, I thought that the previous minister, Simon Harris, had sorted it out. So there was a set of placement in the first wave of the virus and that got sorted out. But now here we are in the second wave. You guys are on placement and there's no arrangement for you. Exactly. Um, uh, during summer, a lot of the students, we had the option um, to go on placement to get some errors and we'd be, we would be paid as a healthcare assistant rate. However, a lot of us actually couldn't go on to the placement because of the COVID, re- uh, because of COVID reasons and everything. But now that we're all back in placement and attending placement and everything, for some reason, even though they saw us as essential workers before, they're still not paying us as they did before if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Now you talk in your email about the hospitals being so busy and you have to get in there, as you said, into the thick of it with patients and, and you're running the same risks as an, as another nurse next to you who is getting paid when you're not. There's also the thing of possibly bringing that virus home. 
Yeah, exactly. And for myself, like, I just have my dad and he's at home all the time now. Um, and it's just that fear, you know, um, me and my dad are very close. Like I give him hugs every night before I go to bed. Um, but even now coming home with anxiety and everything of just being afraid to give him a hug or afraid to give my sister a hug or whoever you know or I know with the social distancing there's absolutely no so- social distancing because you won't be able to care for your patients that way and is your dad vulnerable yeah he is he has different um issues going on and everything so yeah. you would be afraid you know and like I do everything in my power that I can to reduce um, bring home the virus you know like I put my clothes my nursing clothes in a separate bag and I'll put them in the wash myself and I'll go for a shower straight away when I come home and then I'll go straight into bed I to be honest I rarely see him now to be fair because um, I have to study so I have my study room upstairs and then I have my second job what and I go to when I'm not working yeah what? so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so at the moment I have 30 plus hours working in the hospital but because I have to pay for my own transport and everything, um, I have to try get some kind of income in, especially coming up to Christmas and everything. You know, so like as students, we'd like a, some some bit of income, like I'd like to save for my future and everything. But it's impossible with 30 plus hours of placement. So where I'm working at the moment, I have to reduce my hours. I think I get about five hours a week, so it's 50 euro, which is still something, you know, I'm happy with it. Well, hold on. You're trying to work full time in a hospital. You're trying to study... And you're putting in a few hours to make a couple of quid for yourself. Wow. Yeah, so it is quite a lot. And a lot of us are like that. There's, it's, it's quite intense and it's quite overwhelming. And oh, the impact that it actually is having on us, you know, it doesn't affect our work, don't get me wrong. Like we're there for our patients. But once we come home, oh my God, the feet have to go up. Like we're just strained and like trying to get everything done. Like we have an eight week placement that we have to complete before Christmas. Then we have a week study break and then we're straight into exams. So it's just trying to cram everything in and trying to do as much as possible. Like before this phone call now, I've been just trying to study, trying to motivate myself, even though the exhaustion, like you just want to sleep. (laughs) I wouldn't blame you. That's exhausting. Yeah, it is. And it's just hard, you know, like I suppose when we first decided to do nursing, I didn't I don't think that we all thought that it would be quite like this, you know. But you certainly didn't think there'd be a pandemic come along. Exactly, yeah. And I know a lot of us feel the same and it's just very difficult. Like like as Stephen Donnelly said, we're there for educational pla- uh, placement. We're not there to be a healthcare assistant or to be a special. We're there to learn and everything and it's not the nurse's fault and it's nobody's it's not the doctor's or whoever's fault it's just we're we're being dragged along it feels it feels like that we're just been trying to be spread across as much as we can to do as much as we can and there's no real support out there at all for us well i'm very glad to talk to you because we've heard so much about it but to talk to someone who's actually doing it on the front line Tessa is great all I can do is wish you the best of luck I don't know how you're keeping up with the schedule you have yeah it's a bit tough but um, we're just looking for any kind of support advice to be honest like I was talking to the my nursing uh, the other nursing students and they were like is there any support for us out there like what else can we do like I've posted on social media about it I've uh, emailed the Minister of Health a lot of us actually have but there's just it feels like there's nothing being done you know and 
it's just we're just quite tired of not being heard. Well, I'm not sure if anything that you've said in the last few minutes will will do anything to help, but certainly it's out there, and I think people will recognise what you're going through. And for that, I'm very grateful that you took our call. Thanks a million, PJ. I'm so delighted I could talk to you as well. That's Tessa, uh, currently a student nurse here in Cork overworked, undervalued, doing stuff they never thought they would be doing. They knew they'd have to go to the hospital. They knew it would be placement. They knew it would be for a number of weeks. They knew it would be unpaid. But they didn't know it would happen in the middle of a pandemic. And surely some arrangement can be made for them. And there was an arrangement earlier in the year, but it's not there anymore. This was brought up actually in the doll yesterday by uh, Sean Sherlock, uh, Labour TD, for Cork East. People who are nurses are productive the minute they go onto a ward or into an acute hospital setting. That is the point here. Uh, and Because they're taking up the slack due to the lack of capacity that is there at the moment. There is a precedent here which can be used and that is at the start of the pandemic in March a payment was made uh, akin to the healthcare assistant payment. I think that's something that should be revisited and I would call on the government to revisit this issue because I think that could go a long way towards staving off the possibilities that if people get, have good paying conditions at an early stage in their careers, uh, that the chances are that you may retain them within the service and not lose them to Australia or Dubai or the United Kingdom couple of comments coming in on this. Tom has been in touch making the point about the number of times student nurses get asked to work overtime. As Tessa said she was asked to work overtime and after a long day already in the hospital. That's some amount of hours they're working unpaid. And then she's also trying to keep down a part-time job and study at the same time. Another caller though says my family are all nurses either student or serving and they all had to pay about €27,000 to get their qualifications. But they all say the nurses coming up the line think they know everything on placement. Learning by doing is a key part of the training. That's the reason why they shouldn't be looking for a stipend. That's the way you train. The word stipend makes me suspicious about that comment. It sounds like someone a little bit more than just an ordinary nurse. If you know what I'm getting at. 1850 715996. KCN Ross in the morning. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. On Cork's 96th FM. We had two vice principals in our school, two deputy oh, principals, two. and they shared it, yeah. And anyone that was late for school, he locked everyone outside, and oh, then he'd yeah. come to deal with them afterwards. Okay, and that yeah. was his intention. Yeah. He let everybody else in, and he waited, and Shane was the last one left, oh. and he just, and he had a leaf in his hand. It was autumn. He had a leaf in his hand, and had a load of like, dust and dirt on it and he goes Mr Woods this is you now and then he turned the leaf over and he went and that's you when I'm done with you <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia book your test drive now at noeldc.com exclusively Skoda in Cork City Cork's 96 I think I mentioned super value in passing there just before the break and just using it as an example of how if we found that loads of young people were being asked to work for free in there, we wouldn't be overly happy. Have you seen the Christmas ad? All the Christmas ads are coming in now and they're all the usual schmaltz and 
Nice. I love them all. Every love every single one of them. I love them all. But the new Super Value Christmas ad, you'll find it on YouTube if you haven't already seen it. Uh, you'll have something in your eye. Absolutely, guys. We've got passed around our little WhatsApp, our work WhatsApp group last night, and it was kind of, oh, we got to go to get some Optrex. I've got something stuck in my eye. Like, it's brilliant in the Super Value Christmas ad. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Lest ye forget, the Cork 96M 10K toy giveaway is coming next week. Get ready for fun and play. We're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. Uh, listen to Casey and Ross in the morning from Monday and indeed all day long from Monday for your chance to text or WhatsApp in to win one of our 500 euro toy shopping sprees. It's the Cork's 96FM 10K toy giveaway with Johnston Paris at Douglas, Bishopstown and Mahon Point. Put 2020 behind you. Drive into 2021. Always open. Online, jpmg.ie. Listen and win from next Monday morning only on Cork's 96FM. This one's going to be a biggie for the smallies. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp. 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Tom was listening to Tessa, Tom Barry, friend of the show and a regular texter. Hi, PJ. I'm in and out of hospital on a regular basis. To hear that the student nurses are not being paid is a national disgrace. Yeah, a lot of support for them. But you do get people saying, and many people saying, well, you know what? You knew that when you signed up. You knew that there'd be no wages for that when you signed up. And that's a valid argument to a point. You didn't know we were headed into a pandemic when you signed up to do nursing, did you? 1850-715-996. Let us go back to Douglas Village Shopping Centre. For someone who can't, unfortunately, open today, but is raring to go when she can, is Vicky from It's So Me. Hi, Vicky. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Good to talk to you again. I remember talking to you at the time and everyone was so upset and so worried for the future. But it's open. It's open. It's open. I know. A great day for Douglas Village Shopping Centre, for the traders and a great day for the Douglas community. I think we're all very happy today to see the doors open again after 15 months. Now, you can't open just yet because of restrictions. Because of restrictions, yes. So we hope that the restrictions will be lifted and that we get opened on the 1st of December. But we're busy in there preparing for everything at the moment and we're just very, very excited to see the doors open again. You've described the last 15 months, even though you managed to get a pop-up shop going, but you've described the last 15 months as harrowing. It was harrowing, I suppose, to know what, as I said at the time, no one could fathom something like this happening, a fire then followed by a pandemic. So it was very much unprecedented circumstances. Yeah. But we got through it and happily, there's you know, there's a happy ending. So yeah. I remember at the time you were very frightened for the future of your business. Very, very frightened. I suppose, you know what, it, it just, on a Saturday, went into work and by Saturday evening, you know, our businesses were gone. And we were looking at a year of closures and then obviously that ran into 15 months. So it was, it was very challenging and a very frightening time. But, you know, through support from 
family, from friends, from our customers and from the the, the whole Douglas community we got through it. There's a lot of credit due, isn't there, to Bartosz and to Clayton and all the team behind Douglas Village Shopping, Village Shopping Centre that once the lockdown was out of the way, they gave a date and stuck to it. And no one would believe the amount of work that has gone on behind the scenes. And yes, there's huge credit due to the management and staff of Douglas Village Shopping Centre and to Hagerty's, the contractors. I mean, they worked around the clock Mm. against huge deadlines Mm. and there was a huge amount of work to be done and, and they did it. They did it. And, and supported open. all of us throughout it all. Yeah, always. how's that been? I mean, I know there are great relations between between management and, and most of the traders because, you know, it's a very personal, particularly the small traders like yourself, yeah. it's a very personal one. Barty, you see Barty walking up and down, calling into this shop, out of that shop every day. It's a, it's a very, very friendly relationship with management. It is. I suppose I've always said about Douglas Village, shopping centre. It's called Douglas Village for a reason. I mean, it's very, very personal and it is very much community based. You know, even our customers would be very close friends. And I suppose that's testament to the shopping centre down through the years. It's there, what, nearly 40 years at this stage. So it has been the heart and soul of Douglas community for an awful long time. And this this is a happy day, and when a very happy day when restrictions are opened, you'll you'll open your doors. Yes, and so looking forward to the first of December. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. All right, Vicky, take care, and the best of luck to you and all the other traders at Douglas Village Shopping Centre. Vicky Craver from It's So Me Clothing, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We checked with Doctor Galvin about the flu vaccine. She was on with me this morning talking about the nasal spray flu vaccine for the children and how the doctors are all encouraging those of us with young children to bring them to the doctor and get the nasal spray. Then we had, and, and Dr. Galvin said that it's not for adults. Uh, we, we It's not licensed for us and it'll probably be of no use to us. But then we got calls, two calls at least, saying that people had taken their youngsters to be vaccinated with the nasal spray and the doctor had also given it to the parent and they were wondering well what's that about so I think when Fergal was it Fergal called back Dr Galvin and she told him that the nasal dose is licensed for child use only here in the UK it is licensed for use on adults in some circumstances she said anyone who gets it as an adult should query it with the GP and ask why 1850 715 996, have we stumbled upon something that shouldn't be happening? Maybe we have. Just on those restrictions and the businesses that will be reopening. There's a lot of coverage in the newspapers today and I just want to touch upon it for a minute. The Independent and the Times both have big stories about it today. Level 3 is where we think it's going to go. With some changes to Level 3. So it might be Level 3 minus or Level 2 plus... Because if it's level three, well, you'll still be having to eat outside. You'll still be having to... There'll be no pints been served in a pub or take Pacino's now. They'll still have to do takeaway or any other restaurant that still have to do takeaway. If it goes to level two, then they'll be able to open. But there's pressure on the Taoiseach 
to modify level three to allow restaurants to open and pubs that can operate as restaurants to open, but the wet the wet pubs, the so-called wet pubs, might have to stay closed. That's all up for discussion. There apparently was re-raw rack August Rulabula last night at the uh, Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meeting. Um, pressure mounting on Hall to cut the country down to level two. <sighs> You'd love it. You'd love it to happen. You would love it to happen to get back down to where we were, say, in August uh, or maybe September when the wet pubs opened and we could at least get some gatherings, some small gatherings and go for dinner and have some friends and family over for Christmas. It would be lovely, but only time will tell. 1850-715-996 and should we have to go with the science? There is a warning from the Irish Heart Foundation and if you saw this warning on the front page of the paper, like you saw it on the front page of the Sun, or saw it on the front page of the Times or the Examiner, anyway, you would think, no, nah, that's sensationalizing. And you'd be given out about the media, hyping up stories if you saw this warning from the Irish Heart Foundation. But they say it's going to happen. Next, 1850 Corks 96 FM's Hit Mix is one year online. So to celebrate, we're giving away 500 euro to one loyal listener. 500 euro. For your chance to win, follow Corks 96 FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag HitMixMoney. HitMixMoney. 500 euro. Corks 96 FM's Hit Mix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. So the Irish Heart Foundation is warning that by 2030, Ireland is facing, and these are their words, a tsunami of stroke cases. Follows new research. If you saw that headline on the front page of the paper, you would say somebody was hyping it up. But no, this is the words of the Irish Heart Foundation itself, or more specifically, its head of advocacy, Chris Macy. Chris, good morning to you. Good morning. Strong words. Strong words, but uh, uh, unfortunately, it's more or less a statistical inevitability. Uh, The University of Oxford did research for the across Europe, um, you know, in 32 different countries. And for Ireland, it showed uh, that uh, within the next decade, we're going to have a 58 percent increase in the stroke rate, really down to the aging population. And our population is aging quicker than, than in other countries. And that's going to mean an increase from roughly 7,500 strokes in Ireland a year at the moment to about 12,000 uh, by then. Now, there, there are things we can do uh, to minimise that, but you know there, there are risk factors for stroke that aren't modifiable, like age. Uh, getting older uh, means you're more prone to stroke, uh, you know, as well as family history. But, you know, there are other things like knowing your blood pressure and, and, and getting it treated if it's, if it's too high, uh, you know, and all those lifestyle things that uh, the Irish Heart Foundation talk about a lot, like uh, stopping smoking is a huge one. Uh, about 40% of, of under 65s, for example, have stroke or smokers. Um, you know, and all the other 
diet-related and exercise-related things. They, they, you know, they can minimise stroke. You know, there's a, a sort of a, a figure out there um, that uh, I suppose it's a rough figure that says that uh, you know about 50% of strokes are, are, are preventable. Uh, but the way we're going at the moment, the level of service we have, um, that's that's where we're heading. And it might sound sensational, but uh, as I say, that's what the statistics very clearly are saying. The most simple, basic question to ask you, I guess, Chris, you probably explained it a hundred times, but I'll ask you to do it one more time. What is a stroke? Um, well, there's, there's basically two types of stroke, an ischemic stroke that is a blockage uh, of, of the blood supply to the brain. And then a, a hemorrhagic stroke, uh, which is a sort of a burst in a blood vessel that again uh, starves the, uh, the 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 brain of its blood supply. So uh, uh, I suppose uh, you know, as the old fast ad said, it's like a fire in the brain when a stroke strikes, um, and uh, uh, you know your brain function until the, the the blood supply is restored, your brain function will will uh, be destroyed to the tune of uh, roughly two million brain cells every minute. Right, and there's a there's a time factor, isn't it? That once a person is having a stroke, yeah, there's actually. golden time. The golden hour, they call it. Um, well, it's it's not so much a golden hour. It's just as quickly as possible. So, as I say, uh, every minute uh, will destroy in the region for an average stroke in the region of two million brain cells. So, the quicker you get to hospital, literally, the quicker you get to hospital, uh, the more of your brain can be saved. And you know, I talk to a lot of doctors. I heard of a case. Uh, for example, where a young man in his 30s had a massive stroke, um, he, his father spotted the signs, got him into hospital within the hour, and four days later he was able to walk down the aisle and get married uh, when the doctors fully believed that if he hadn't got in uh, in a timely fashion, he could have never been able to walk again. Uh, and uh, that's the difference it can make. We're actually launching a campaign we haven't said it yet, but we're going to be launching a campaign in association with the Department of Health later this month on this very subject. You mentioned at the start of our conversation about the fact that we have an ageing population and that that is a risk factor. But then the story about the young lad in his in his 30s, like do, do young people in their 30s get strokes frequently? Yeah, it's, it's um, uh, we did an audit um, uh, with the HSE uh, about uh, four years ago that showed that 26% of strokes happen to people in the under 65 uh, age group. Um, in that group, uh, most of them are men. So basically, uh, one in six of all strokes are men under 65 at this stage. Um, and, you know, there's various, uh, there's, there's many uh, different causes of that. And sometimes the cause can never be ascertained, uh, you know, but there, there are lifestyle causes, for example, smoking, that type of thing. Uh, there are unexplained causes. And one thing that I talk to a lot of younger stroke survivors, and one uh, very recurring theme is stress. Um, now, that's not fully... I mean, there is evidence uh, about that in uh, in research. Yeah. It's never been sort of fully, uh, you know, worked through, but it's something that is really recurring in the people I talk to. Now, you speak about smoking consistently, but even in non-smokers, they can get strokes too. Absolutely, and there is a family uh, heritage sort of uh, aspect to it. You know, if you've got, got, for example, high blood pressure running in the family, you're going to be more uh, susceptible. And, you know, you, you know, apart from, you, you know, it's really important in those cases that uh, you, you know about it, uh, you know your numbers, you go and get um, treatment if treatment is necessary and keep on top of it. Uh, but, you know, the, the, so 
so the, the family history aspect can be controlled, um, whereas the sort of the ageing, everyone ages and, and everyone's risk of stroke. Mm, like it is something that runs in families. It is, yeah. And is that down to a, a kind of a congenital weakness or something? Well, no, I mean, Has that some, been identified? Some people are more susceptible to high blood pressure than families, for example. It's that type of it's that type of thing. Okay, so remind us again, Chris. Before I let you go, I let you go. What fast means? So if you think you're having a stroke, or yeah. think someone near you is having a stroke, what do you do? Um, so fast stands for face. Uh, is the face falling? Uh, on one side, can the person smile? Arms, can they lift both arms, raise both arms and keep them there? Speech, is the person's speech slurred? And knowing all that's really important because it can save your life, but it's no good to you unless you uh, uh, you, you adhere to the T, which is time, uh, time to call uh, an ambulance if you see any one of those signs. It is absolutely vital that you do it. And uh, I've absolutely no doubt that someone listening to this today, if they heed that, uh, you know, uh, that message will save their life. All right, listen, con- uh, continued success in, in the work that you do, and thanks for taking our call today. Chris Macy, who is the Head of Advocacy uh, at the Irish Heart Foundation. A tsunami of strokes likely between now and 2030 because of our ageing population, because we have some lifestyle issues that we need to look after. It's worth bearing it in mind. It's not sensationalising. It's a fact. 1850-715-996. Caller is on his second stroke and he's only 59. It does run in families. Worth keeping on top of it if it's in your families as he has had sight and brain damage and all one side is hampered now at this stage. And Kate was in touch to say her brother-in-law had a stroke. Thankfully, his wife spotted it straight away and was able to get him the help he needed. Timing is everything. This time of year, we get books coming in the door every second day. In fact, sometimes you get one or two a day because loads of people are writing books for the the, the seasonal market and lots of them are on crime and criminals and cases. One in particular that stands out is a book written by Frank Graney. Now, Frank is a journalist who I've had on the show many, many times as a guest over the last number of years, reporting on cases like the Graham Dwyer case. He was on me throughout the Anna Creagel case. He was on uh, about the Belfast rape trial. 
He has covered all of the big cases as a national radio uh, court reporter. He's chosen to write a book about a different murder, though, and that is the murder of Patricia O'Connor. You remember, if you remember your news, that in June of 2017, a woman who was having a picnic in the Wicklow Mountains came across something horrific. And that discovery set in motion a chain of events that would eventually bring to our attention and the attention of the nation a horrific, gruesome, barbaric murder and an attempt to cover that murder up. The new book is called Crowded House and Frank Graney joins me now. Frank, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Delighted. And of all the cases that you've covered and we've spoken to you about many of them, why this one? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I have covered, you know, some of the most high-profile cases to come before uh, the courts over the years through my work with News Talk and Today FM as a courts correspondent, before that as a crime reporter with a local station in Dublin, 98 FM, which I'm sure you're familiar with, TJ. And I have been approached over the years to write books about various cases and, to be honest, and, and not to be disparaging in any way to those cases that I covered, they didn't appeal to me um, because I felt there was nothing new I could bring to the story. Um, I felt that, you know, I would have needed the support of the family as well. It was very important to me. And I certainly didn't want to write a book for the sake of writing a book, for the sake of, of selling books, which I know sounds uh, very unusual. But for me, there had to be a greater purpose and the reason I chose this story is because I felt that not only what happened to Patricia O'Connor in May of 27 was horrific and barbaric as you mentioned but also you know what happened afterwards you know how Kieran Green her killer uh, disrespected her body uh, you know and I am conscious of the time PJ I know your listeners are probably familiar with the details but but the case is disturbing and distressing so I'll tread very carefully uh, Mm. this morning what happened afterwards, you know, the, the attempt to dispose of her body, the attempt to cover up afterwards, that was all absolutely horrendous. And then what happened during the trial, the family will say that to, to add insult to injury, Kieran Green then set about tearing her good name to shreds, dragging her good name through the mud. He and the others told lie after lie um, about Patricia O'Connor. They all lived under the same roof at Mountain View Park in Rathfarnham, hence the title of the book, Crowded House. There were nine people living under Patricia's roof. She owned the house. She was the only one paying towards the mortgage. Uh, The rest of them lived there rent-free. There were three generations of the same family. All of these lies that were told about her depicted her as a monster, as a violent bully, as somebody who intimidated them in her house, who frightened her grandchildren, grandchildren who I learned she absolutely adored and would have done anything for. So she was depicted in such a disparaging way and I learned through conversations with the family members who really cared about her, her friends, her former colleagues at Beaumont Hospital, that that was all lies, a web of lies to advance this version of events and I wanted to set the record straight. Who actually was she, Frank? I have a lovely photograph in my hand that's from the book. It's, It's a person holding a framed photograph of Patricia and she looks like a jolly, smiling, warm person. Just looking at that photograph, she worked as a caterer in a hospital. That's right. For 32 years, uh, she worked in the catering department at Beaumont Hospital. I'm glad you brought up that photo because um, most of her, 
uh, personal items, photographs, clothes were destroyed after the event um, by those who were trying to cover up what had happened. Uh, that photo that you mentioned was taken at Richard's wedding, her son's wedding, and she's positively beaming in it. Um, she spent a lot of money and she went through a lot of heartache to get her teeth uh, fixed uh, over the years. She was very conscious of her smile and when she had a few bob put together and she worked hard her whole life, uh, she spent a couple of quid to get her eyes um, sorted, to get her teeth sorted. She took great pride in, in her appearance. She was also a very house-proud lady and, and that caused some difficulties at Mountain View Park because certainly her daughter uh, didn't respect the house uh, in the same way. But through my conversations with family members and with friends of hers and former colleagues at the hospital, she came across as a really kind, hard-working, loving um, woman who had a hard life um, at various points throughout her life. Um, she separated from her husband. It was a fairly amicable split from what I've been told. She moved out of the house when the kids were young. She then met um, a woman, as it turns out. She fell in love with a woman that she worked with at the hospital. Uh, they moved in together in an apartment in Rathmines. And this person left her for another one of her colleagues. So... Patricia was heartbroken when that happened, speaking to her friends that really took its toll on her. But she did bounce back. Um, she stayed living in that apartment in Rathmines, but she was paying the rent and the bills by herself. She was also paying the mortgage for the house in Rathfarnham, where Louise and Gus and Louise's children were, were living. And it proved to be too much of a financial um, burden on her. So she eventually moved back to the house. Now, herself and Gus were still um, husband and wife on paper, but they certainly didn't live as husband and wife. They yeah. had bedrooms. She grew up in Wine Gap. She was born there in March of 1956 to a very big family. She was the ultimate middle child. There were 13 kids in the family and they were very, very close. Her life in Wine Gap um, seemed That's idyllic. She had a very place. happy childhood. Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is. And I, I couldn't go there when I was writing the book because of the restrictions with travel during lockdown. But I was able to get a flavour of the place from her family members, from residents of Wine Gap. And I did travel down there. And it is a wonderful, wonderful place. It reminded me an awful lot of where I grew up in Barna in County Galway and her family were just salt of the earth and that was something that struck me when they came up from Wine Gap every day. I just couldn't understand how this monster uh, that was being depicted during the trial came from such a lovely background, you know, such a loving family. Her, her son Richard um, was certainly cut from the same cloth as Patricia, a very hard-working, kind, smart, uh, strong man and I just couldn't get my head around how... Patricia had turned out, and I was I was really gladdened to hear that that just wasn't the case. Yeah, it was that was the that was the journalist's nose, I think, at 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 work there that something wasn't right about this 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 depiction. Talk to us about Kieran Green, the man who took her life. He was her daughter's boyfriend. That's right. Uh, Louise had five children from three different fathers. Uh, two of the men who are now serving time for their roles in what happened to. Uh, Patricia O'Connor and the attempted cover-up afterwards um, are father to four of her children. There is another man uh, that she had uh, a child with. Uh, they are Keith, Kieran Green and, and Keith Johnson. Keith Johnson was the father of Stephanie O'Connor, who is also serving time for her role in the attempted cover-up afterwards. Um, Keith Johnson was the first uh, on the scene, and he also lived in the house for a number of years. And when she and or when he and Louise split up, uh, she met Kieran Green shortly afterwards. And you know the numbers in the house had diminished somewhat after the breakup with Keith Johnston. But Louise restored them to their full capacity just a few months afterwards when she invited Kieran Green to move in. He was 22 years of age at the time. Louise was a few years older than him. Uh, we heard that 
Louise was Kieran's first ever girlfriend. Um, he moved in, they had three children together and he was ultimately the one that took her life um, in May of 2017. He bludgeoned her to death in the bathroom of that home that they shared. Um, he claimed that he was acting in self-defence. He claimed that she came at him with a child's hurley and that he disarmed her and, and beat her with it and that led uh, to her death. Um, it's fair to say that the jury rejected that version of events. They did not believe that a 61-year-old woman had come at him and that he felt the only way was to, to defend himself was uh, to beat her to death in such a way. Uh, and as I mentioned, he, you know, the, the lengths he went to cover up what he did afterwards. Yeah. And um, involving so many others. Like, who, who was involved in the cover-up? Patricia's own daughter, Louise, uh, was involved. So too was her granddaughter, Stephanie, Stephanie's father, Keith Johnston, and her own husband, uh, Gus. They were all involved in the attempted cover-up. Uh, they all tried to help Kieran Green get away with murder. Uh, Stephanie disguised herself as Patricia, her grandmother. Her grandmother, who adored her, by the way. Um, she had a real soft spot for Stephanie, and she took great care of her eldest grandchild. And Stephanie dressed up as Patricia for the benefit of a CCTV camera that was mounted uh, to the front of a neighbour's house. And she left the house um, uh, on the evening uh, that Patricia was murdered to, I suppose, support the ruse that Patricia had packed her bags and stormed out of the house after a row. Um, that's clearly not what happened that night. Uh, Louise was convicted for her role in helping Stephanie put together that disguise. She agreed to allow her daughter to, um, to, to disguise herself as her mother and leave the house in such a way. Keith Johnston then was facing two charges. One of them was ultimately taken away from the jury. We heard that he carried out some refurbishment works in the bathroom where Patricia was killed uh, after she was killed. Um, but that charge was taken away. The allegation was that, that he knew that he was covering up a crime scene and that that's why he did it. But the jury didn't have to concern themselves with that. The judge took that charge away from them. But he was convicted for um, uh, assisting Kieran Green by joining him on what was described as a shopping spree through various hardware stores and other shops across Dublin, buying things like hacksaws, hatchets, blades, cover sheets, things like that. Things that the prosecution claimed were used to dismember Patricia Ryan and to dispose of her of her remains. Gus then was due to stand trial, but just before the trial began, he actually pleaded guilty to his role. His role was that he went down to Gardaí in the days after Patricia had been killed, reported her as a missing person at a time when he knew full well that she was dead. He did that PJ with his son Richard. Richard was totally unaware of what happened. He was the one that became concerned when she didn't contact him on the day of his birthday. Uh, that was very unusual. That they had a very close bond, as I mentioned. She was a very proud mother on the day of his uh, of his wedding to uh, to Martina. Um, he was very concerned. He wanted to go down to Gardaí. Louise was trying to convince him not to, which he thought was strange. He went down and Gus reluctantly went with him. And I just imagine Gus standing at the hatch reporting Richard's mother, his wife, as a missing person when he knew what had happened to her. And I think that's a very, very cruel thing that he did to his son. You know, Frank, this is the kind of thing that if we saw it on, on the blurb of a fiction novel, you'd say, oh, right, OK, fair enough, that's a bit far-fetched. Or if you saw it on the blurb of a movie, you'd say, oh, that's a bit far-fetched. The horrible part of this is this is all real. That's, you've hit the nail on the head there, PJ. You know, you've outlined some of the cases at the top of the piece that I've covered down through the years, uh, all of them equally, equally harrowing in, in their nature. But I, I recall... 
I recall back in June of 2017, and I'm sure you and your listeners do too, when human remains were first found up in the Dublin Wicklow yes. Mountains, and that sparked this enormous search operation. You know, it spanned a 30-kilometer radius. 15 body parts belonging to Patricia were found in nine different locations, and some of those body parts were found by members of the public out walking and enjoying the countryside, out picnicking, uh, as, as you mentioned. The rumour mill was in full flow in June of 2017 with, you know, the likes of myself and my colleagues and other crime hacks and barstool detectives trying to figure out who these remains belong to. And a lot of people were, were suspicious that it might have been something to do with the gangland feud that was raging in yes, Dublin uh, at, at the time. Of course, and then when it turned out that it was a 61-year-old grandmother who had worked hard her whole life uh, in Beaumont Hospital, you know, that certainly puzzled me and uh, and my colleagues. It just didn't make sense that she was taken in, in such a way. And then clearly when these people came before the courts for the first time, but the first time we got, I suppose, the full picture of what was alleged to have happened at 66 Mountain View Park was when the prosecuting barrister Roisin Lacey took to her feet at the on the opening day of the trial to overview the prop, to give the jurors an overview of the prosecution's case. It took her almost an hour to outline what the prosecution's case was. Mm. My jaw hit the floor. I was looking at colleagues in the press bench who cover these kinds of cases for a living and they were gobsmacked as well. This was truly horrendous, really, really disturbing. It is like something you would see in a work of fiction, but tragically for Patricia and the family members who loved her, it was far from it. You draw attention in the book as well, as, as rightly so, to the great the detective work in putting it together? Absolutely. It was a painstaking investigation that led to the successful prosecution of the five who are now serving time for their roles. Um, they initially thought that they were dealing with the remains of a young male and I suppose that would have then supported people's suspicions that this had something to do with the gangland feud. Uh, and that was because a preliminary examination of some of the bones when they were measured against various charts, um, uh, the preliminary uh, results revealed that they actually belonged to a, a young man. That wasn't the case, obviously, you know, when they found Patricia's head. And again, I won't go into any, no. any detail. C- clearly, they knew that they were dealing with an elderly woman. Um, the guard investigation then, you know, forensics got involved. But there was such a professional cleanup of the crime scenes that there was no forensic evidence that could link um, Kieran Green, certainly, to the crime. They found one drop of blood in the bathroom where he bludgeoned her to death, and they couldn't link that to Kieran Green. So they had to rely on old-school police work. Um, a lot of evidence was retracted from the statements that they took from the accused persons. Kieran Green handed himself in. Um, about two days into the search he handed himself in and he confessed to killing her again claiming initially that he was in self-defence he claimed at all times that he acted alone what happened then was six months later uh, he changed his story and he claimed it was in fact Gus who murdered his wife and he then brought everybody else uh, into the story he made accusations against Louise against Keith and against uh, Stephanie now Gus was never charged with murder it's important to say that Kieran mm. Green is the only person that has been charged and convicted uh, for Patricia O'Connor's murder but the investigation took in 
hundreds of hours of CCTV footage had to be harvested and watched. That's painstaking. Um, certainly, I remember during the course of one of the Garda interviews when Keith Johnston mentioned something to the Garda. He described carrying out these repair works in the bathroom and he claimed that the reason that he was doing it was because he knew that there had been a row in the house with Patricia and he wanted the house and the bathroom to look nice for when she came back to appease her. That's what he said. Mm. Now, one thing that he said to the Garda that they picked up on during uh, their uh, interrogation of him, I have no doubt that as Keith Johnson is now serving his three-year sentence, I have no doubt that every night he closes his eyes before he tries to go to sleep in his little cell. I have no doubt that he regrets saying this to Gardaí because he told them that he had a nagging thought at the time of carrying out these repair works that he could be potentially clearing up a crime scene. And why I think Keith Johnston struggles to get to sleep every night is that proved absolutely crucial in his conviction because he couldn't then argue that when he went on this shopping spree with Kieran Green to pick up things like hacksaws and axes and things like that, mm-hmm. he couldn't then argue that he didn't know what they were yeah. going to be used for. Uh, and that was something obviously that the jury uh, didn't believe and they convicted him of it. It was a painstaking guard investigation and the guard who took part in it deserve enormous credit for bringing it to a successful conclusion. As do you, Frank, for putting it into a fine, fine book which reads like a fiction novel. You have to tell yourself every few pages. Jesus, lads, this is real. Frank, congratulations on it. It's a fine piece of work. Thanks, PJ. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Good morning to you and your listeners. Cheers. That's Frank Graney, author of Crowded House, the definitive story behind the murder of Patricia O'Connor. Not for the faint-hearted, but a fine, fine read. Let's finish with something nice. William was on to us to say that last night, between around 6 and 7 o'clock, my wife had a blowout one of her tyres. She was coming home from Cork on the way to Killa, just passing the turn-off by Carrick Tool. She called the tow truck as she couldn't change the wheel herself. But a young lad stopped, got out of his car and was so obliging. Very well dressed, he got destroyed in the weather and the wet. The problem was one of the nuts was stuck and he seemed to know what he was doing. That's why she couldn't get the wheel off. He seemed to know what he was doing. He got the wheel off eventually got it changed, put on the spare so she was on her way again. Uh, She was so flustered she didn't remember his name she couldn't remember anything about him other than his suit was destroyed and he was so well presented and he was ruined by the way by the time he got home. But she'd love to thank him personally if uh, he hears it they're so grateful and if he phones in, I'd like to thank him personally. So are you the young well-dressed very presentable man who got destroyed helping a woman change her tyre down near Carry Tool yesterday. If you are, she'd like to, to say thanks to you uh, for what you did. Let's see if we can get that. Can we get that line, Terry, at this stage? Can we go to go to line one? Ah, yeah, Patrick Bresnan. Uh, just wrap up a quick call to Bresnan's Butchers at Douglas Village Shopping Centre. Open again, Patrick. Good morning. Hey, PJ. How are things? Good. Big day. Well, here it's going fantastic. There's a great goodwill from people all coming in, everyone wishing us well. And so far, so good. Now things are running smoothly. It's great to see the heart of Douglas back again. Yeah. You went online after the fire. Did that compensate? Well, what it did, it allowed us to keep going in business. We were sort of able to stay above water. And once COVID hit in March, we were all set up for the home deliveries at that stage. So it meant that we were able to uh, double the home deliveries and people who are self-isolating 
and people who weren't able to get out, we were able to drop their meat, their veg, their eggs, everything they needed, all their essentials, we were able to get that to them direct. We'll still be continuing our home delivery service. Right even though we have a shop in Douglas going. Yeah, but people, of course, love to come in and they love to, to look at the produce there and then. I suppose with six weeks today being Christmas Eve, will we be able to get turkey and ham this Christmas? Oh, absolutely, 100%. We're going to be doing our uh, collections of turkey, ham and spice beef from our uh, depot in Carrigal line, our production facility. And what it is, it's what we're emphasising this year really is stay safe, stay warm, stay in your car. So when people order online, they'll come down, three days before Christmas, any day they want. They'll be able to pick it up, stay in their car, just give their name and number. We come out straight into the booth and off home you go. No queuing, no need for big long queues in the shopping centre that way. You'd easily know you were at it for 120 plus. Well, not you, but the family was at it for 120 odd years. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what you know what you're at. Well, listen. Congratulations to you and to everybody involved today. That's getting their doors open down at Douglas Village Shopping Centre. It's great to see you all back. Thank you very much, PJ. Cheers. And uh, look forward to seeing you. Indeed, you will. That's Patrick Bresnan from Bresnan's Butchers in Douglas Village Shopping Centre. There's about thirteen outlets open down the centre. The rest of them will come online over the next while, presumably when the restrictions are lifted to whatever extent they are lifted. People asking about Maxi Zoo. I don't know, but I don't think Maxi Zoo is coming back. I'll try to clarify that, but I don't think that Maxi Zoo is coming back. Coming up tomorrow, if you're a fan of The Crown, don't miss it. We got a big preview of season four. And we're talking live in Australia to Sonia O'Sullivan, who's just out of quarantine. We'll be finding out what that was like. That and plenty more tomorrow. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. I will see you tomorrow, just after nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.